trial of genotype-guided dosing of warfarin. So just a little introduction and background information. Uh, we all know warfarin therapy um, is complicated by its therapeutic index, and that leads to either excessive or insufficient anticoagulation, so either bleeding or uh, thrombosis. Daily doses vary among patients due in part to the polymorphisms in CYP2C9 and VK. ORC1 genes. Um, the CYP2C9 is involved in the metabolism of warfarin, and the VKORC1 is involved in the vitamin K cycle. So in 2007, the FDA altered the label of warfarin to include the statement patient CYP2C9 and VKORC1 genotype information, when available, can assist in select the selection of the starting dose. and Although studies showing support for this has been limited, and, and that has prevented genotype dosing from being recommended in clinical practice guidelines. So this study compared uh, genotype dosing with standard clinical uh, practice dosing. And study involved patients from three centers in the UK and two in Sweden. Um, eligible patients had to either have atrial fibrillation or a venous thromboembolism that was deemed by their attending physician to require anticoagulation with a range INR target of 2.0 to 3.0 and not having received previous treatment with warfarin. They were excluded if they had a mechanical heart valve because um, that usually requires, I think, 2.5 to 3.5 for the INR target. A severe cognitive impairment, which might affect the adherence to the protocol a known, the known, a known genotype prior to the study in uh, one of those polymorphisms, previous or current treatment with any cumulant <clears throat> anticoagulant, and pregnant or lactating uh, patients, or if the physician just thought that the patient was eligible for clinical reasons. So in total, 455 patients were recruited from January 2011 through January 2013. 227 were assigned to the genotype group, and 228 were randomly assigned to the control group. Only 427 were included in the analysis after excluding those who did not have the least uh, 13 days of INR data, so we actually came out to 211 in the genotype group and 216 in the control. There were some deaths, uh, five in the genotype group and two in the control, but study reported that they weren't due to the use of or any indication for warfarin, so it wasn't due to warfarin or AFib or venous thromboembolism. So for the uh, 455 patients, they, the study actually calculated that 442 patients per study group would be needed to have an 80% power to show an improvement um, in genotyping of uh, 5 percentage points in the percentage time in a or in the percentage time in the therapeutic range at a 5% significant level, but due to the challenges for recruiting, they actually adjusted it by using blinded data from the first 222 patients, and that allowed them to have a new estimate for standard deviation, so they actually brought it down to 200, uh, or 200 patients per study to provide an 80% 80, 80 power and a detection of 7 percentage points. 
So, for the genotype guided group, um, the way the protocol for warfarin dosing for that was days one through three. Days one through three, uh, dosing was determined based on the loading dose algorithm. And this algor algorithm they use was a slightly modified version of an international warfarin pharmacogenetics algorithm. It's uh, one of those type of algorithms that was, was based on a lot of like computations, not one of those that you can calculate by hand or use like flowchart for. It's a really complicated equation. Um, and it used the uh, estimated half-lives of the uh, polymorphism uh, genes and all those kind of things. So that was for days one through three. For days four and five, the doses were determined based on a dose revision algorithm that was based on the INR value on day four. So this was also another algorithm specific to genotype uh, dosing that took into consideration the INR value on day four. After day five, the dosing was just determined based on local clinical practice. For the control group, that didn't take genotypes into consideration. Uh, patients 75 years of age or younger received 10 milligrams of warfarin on day one, five on two, and five on three. Whereas patients uh, older than 75 received five on day one through three. And then four and five, and thereafter were determined by usual local clinical practice. So all patients were followed for three months with INR measured on days one, four, 6, 8, 15, 22, 57, and 85, um, with additional visits based on clinical need. And additional <coughs> visits actually came out to be pretty much the same between both uh, groups. So the primary outcome of the study, the way they were comparing the genotype group and the, the control group, was the percentage of time in the therapeutic INR range of 2.0 to 3.0 during the 12 weeks after the initiation of the warfarin therapy. There were secondary outcomes that the trial wasn't specifically powered for. That included the incidence of INR values of 4.0 or higher, um, the percentage of time with an INR of 4.0 or higher, the percentage of time with an INR of less than 2, the time to reach therapeutic INR, um, the time to reach a stable warfarin dose, also the amount of major and minor bleeding events, um, sensitivities to warfarin, number of adjustments in the dose, among others. So the results of the study, which for the primary outcome, they were statistically significant. Linear regression was used to compare the numerical outcomes between the two groups. So the adjusted percentage, which I, you can actually look at table two for that on the back page. Um, percentage of time in within the INR window of 2.0 to 3.0 was 67.4%. And the genotype guided group, as compared with 60.3% in the control group, which is the difference of seven percentage points, which is exactly what the study was powered to find. And in the per protocol analysis, which is the next line, which they took into consideration um, patients who deviated from the, the dosing. So taking that into consideration, the guided group was 68.9% and the control, the genotype guided group was 68.9% and the control group was 62.3%. So that's a difference of 6.66 percentage points. It's also statistically significant. 
Now, the sensitivity analysis uh, was conducted to see uh, how consistent the primary analysis, analysis results would be. And actually, if you have the, the trial itself in figures 1A and 1B, shows that the, the differences in the mean INR between the two groups are greatest soon after the initiation of the anticoagulation. And you can also see that um, the mean INR for the genotype group didn't go above the therapeutic level, while the control group did. Um, but differences, as you go on to the three-month follow-up, you know, like all the way up to 84, uh, the 84th day, which was the last INR test, the differences uh, will become smaller and smaller. And then in figure 1A, it's showing that the difference between the two groups and the mean percentage of time in the therapeutic range basically uh, became apparent between 5 and 10 days. And then some additional information in the post-hoc analysis, which is included in actually in the secondary outcome, it showed that for weeks 1 through 4 and 5 through 8, there was a significant difference between time and, and therapeutic range, but for the last four weeks of the study, 9 through 12, it wasn't actually statistically different, which you can kind of see from that graph. So some, I'll give you some of the results for the secondary outcome. Um, find table three. So if you want to look at table three, patients in the genotype group were less likely to have an INR of 4.0 or higher than those in the control group. Um, the median time to reach a therapeutic INR was shorter in the genotype guided group than in the control group, which you can also see in figure 2A and 2B, uh, which were done using Kaplan-Meier plots. A total of 173 patients in the genotype guided group, which is 82%, reached a stable dose of warfarin by three months as compared to 70.4% in the control group. So patients in the genotype group reached that stable dose um, much more quickly than in the control group. And there are also fewer adjustments in the dose of warfarin in the genotype guided group than the control group. <clears throat> there is no significant difference between the two groups in the median number of additional INR measurements. So like I said, patients were allowed extra visits if it was deemed clinically necessary, but that wasn't much different between the group. And there was also really no difference between bleeding events. Um, three, three, three of the bleeding events which all control, which occurred in the control group were actually classified as clinically significant, but overall uh, no major bleeding events were, the amount where it's not significantly different in uh, the two groups. And the majority of the bleeding events consisted of just minor bruising. So moving on to some limitations of the trial. Um, with the method, the genotype group used an algorithm, like I said, the the clinical guided group, um, which is the control group, didn't use an algorithm. They just went based off local clinical practices. So whatever the local practices in 
the UK or Sweden would be. That's how um, they determined the dosing of the control group. The study did say that compared to other studies that had a um, control group with um, had a control group, the, the findings, the amount of time, percent time of the group in the therapeutic INR range are pretty much similar. And if not, the, the control group in this study was actually better. So not having an algorithm doesn't necessarily mean that they were going to have uh, worse outcomes. Also, an analysis performed at the end showed that six of the patients actually were misgenotyped. The, this affected the VKORC1 genotyping only, but when this study did their own um, sensitivity and specificity, specificity tests, specificity tests for genotyping, um, they were all high. So, also the test was not double-blinded. But other than the first five days of the genotype group and the first three days of the control group, the dosing was the same. Um, in addition, the endpoint of INR is measurable, so double-blinding wasn't really considered to be something that was required. So for the outcomes, and this I think is the, the major limitation, was that the primary outcome was the percent time within therapeutic range and not actual bleeding and thrombosis defense. So this kind of shows the difference between statistical significance and clinical significance. You can't really, the, the study didn't really find any clinical uh, significance or clinical outcomes in, in difference in bleeding. Theoretically, less time above an INR should mean that that should correlate with less bleeding events. But in order to find an actual statistical significance, they would have to, like I said, been um, 2,916 patients if they wanted to find a difference in bleeding events, 2,916 patients, for it to have a power of 80%. So that was impossible. For generalizability, 98.5% of patients were Caucasian, probably representing the um, demographics of the area that were, they were in. Whenever you're dealing with uh, genotyping or genetics in general, it's important to take ethnicity into consideration. So the polymorphisms between one group might be slightly different or have a different effect on dosing in another ethnic group. And some confounders I, that I found in the study was that those with the phenothyroid embolism were treated with heparin for the first five days. And I did find some other uh, supporting evidence that warfarin, concomitant use of warfarin and heparin can cause an unreliable INR result. So I think that should be taken into consideration. Also, if they were looking at bleeding events, so clinical outcomes, then obviously concomitant use of heparin would have affected that. Also, some patients got a dose uh, one day before randomization, and if they did, then their day one through three, no matter which group they're in, were kind of adjusted to reflect, um, reflect that early dose. So if they had to have a certain average amount, average or certain amount over the three days, they would take consideration the first dose and then kind of divide the other two doses so they would come out to the same average amount. I think that this might um, affect some of the data that way. Also, the INR value for day one at the start of warfarin therapy 
was assumed to be that measured at the visit one or the randomization visit, but in some patients that that level was unavailable, so it was assumed to be one. And also when two different INR measurements were performed on the same day, the higher the two values was used. So as you can see there, the, some of the INR values are not actual values, and that could that could uh, affect the percentage of time in the therapeutic range, especially because the major difference between the two groups were, were in those first uh, five days and those first, uh, yeah, five to ten days. So that probably has a, a greater effect on that. Uh, for applicability of this study, I think if genotype algorithms can be developed for specific ethnic groups, then maybe this data will be preserved across other populations, at least of the effectiveness that it found. Also, with some patients that might have greater safety issues and uh, may need to re reach a therapeutic INR faster, stable dose, or have any extra precautions, it might help to do the genotype testing. It only takes two hours to do. But the last thing I have on there that it depends on the availability of the genotype testing, it does cost extra money. It's only a two-hour uh, return time for the level, but it really is based on the availability of that and clinicians that are willing to do that. Some additional trials that I found that were published around the same time as this article, like the end of last year, there was one that compared warfarin dosing algorithm to a clinical, uh, between a genetic algorithm and a clinical alg algorithm. So like how I mentioned, this one didn't use a clinical algorithm. This trial did, but they found that within the four weeks that they did the trial, there wasn't any statistically significant difference between the two groups with the percentage of therapeutic range of the INR between two and three. And then another trial which looked at two other drugs, um, Akinic Humeral and fenprocumin, which are other vitamin K antagonists derived from coumarin, the same same uh, chemical that warfarins derive from. That test also that study also showed that genotype guided dosing did not increase the time spent within the therapeutic range through the 12 weeks. So my conclusion, based off this trial and the other information supporting it, is that I don't I don't believe that. The genotype dosing is really uh, effective enough to warrant the extra procedure and the extra cost and time, cost and and time to do it. I don't think it, the difference in end results isn't significant, significant, significant enough to warrant it. And if they wanted to prove that, they really had to make the primary outcome bleeding events, um, because just having the percentage of time between two and three was not really going to show any clinical significance. So you can't really apply it to make clinical guidelines and ask people to follow those. That's pretty much it. Any questions? Um, did the authors explain away why they had trouble recruiting? <coughs> and change their power calculation mm -hmm. because of that? Um, they, didn't, they didn't really explain why why they had trouble. I think it, it just came down to because they were sourcing it from just you know clinicians and physicians and stuff, having to 
have them offer their patient, and then also, yeah, just uh, probably the communication between them. To me, it's a, it's a big red flag for generalizability of the results to your patient population. How difficult was it to um, <clears throat> to recruit patients for your mm-hmm. trial? So they have, what, five sites, two years to do it, mm-hmm. and they weren't able to get maybe even half of the number of patients they wanted. So you take that plus they were all Caucasian, and, uh, and now you would have real trouble generalizing those results. I mean, I think I agree with your assessment. The uh, <clears throat> statistical significance was found, but clinical significance probably uh, probably was not found. But you know, even if you had found something clinically significant, it would still be difficult to generalize that. Uh, yeah, and I mean, they even had to go like out of their way to even get their number because they adjusted. They couldn't get 2,900 or so people for the clinical significance, and then just looking for the therapeutic uh, INR range, they adjusted based off the first 20 pe- 222 people so that they could take overall less less patients into the study. Do you think the research question being asked is even appropriate? I mean, they, it was this article plus two others that you mentioned were all published in the same mm-hmm. journal, uh, yeah. um, but they're, they're basically comparing... Um, you know, a group of patients, two groups of patients, uh, one with the genetic protocol and one without, is that even the, the research question that you would ask to try to figure out how am I going to use genetic testing to help patients with COVID? Um, well, they did actually, well, I'm not sure if this answers the question, but after the trial, they did do the genetic testing for the control group too, and it, there was just as many like in both groups, so it was kind of comparing people with these polymorphisms in this group and people with polymorphisms in this group and dosing them based one on clinical judgment and one on uh, the algorithm. Which is, yeah. more, which is more common, to have a polymorphism that would alter warfarin substantially or to not have? I think to not have. So, so basically you're diluting like the people that you want to help Mm-hmm. Are, are diluted when they when you do trials like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, the question is like, can you do genetic testing? And okay, eighty percent of the people don't have a polymorphism, so we're just going to do clinical judgment on them. And then uh, these the small percentage, those patients only, were, uh, that are um, positive for our test, are the ones that we are going to um, do our genetically modified protocol. And then maybe you'd be able to find. A, a difference in bleed that's uh, bleeding or efficacy uh, that's significant. So I, I guess that's probably that's the question I hope would have been answered. Maybe these had to be done to get to that question. Yeah, I agree. So there were five facilities in the trial, right? Mm-hmm. Were they different at all in their outcomes? Um, no. Uh, well, actually... Between the five facilities, the percent range, the percent of time in the therapeutic range actually uh, went from, let's see, how that
Okay. So between the, the the five centers they used, there was actually between group difference in the time and therapeutic range, and that ranged from 1.7 to 11.4 percentage points. So it seemed like their overall mean of all the patients they used was you know higher, as I said, but there was some difference even between the the centers. Okay. Um, in terms of the patients that were there demographically, they were all pretty similar. There was no really no statistical significance significant differences. Yeah, I looked in the supplementary appendix um, for the, the results among the different facilities. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because two of them found like no difference at all, a mm-hmm. P of 0.5. So um, the biggest one, Liverpool, is probably the one that drove the results of the, the trial mm-hmm. because um, they had the most patients. But St. Helens and Nosley had 65.6% within the INR versus 63% placebo. <clears throat> or control, excuse me. And the other one, Uppsala, had 75 versus 74%. So absolutely no difference. Um, even though these were smaller samples in these facilities, it's curious that they had, like, no difference at all. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you, then, about maybe the internal validity of the overall results? Um, I would say that I'd say it's less valid, and the, the results are less reliable. I mean, if it was, and seeing it, you know, like you said, it, it varied from place to place, I think, yeah, that's true. And actually, with even the dosing, there was a lot of in the supplementary information. They, they included some of the differences in the dosing that the patient's receiving, and it made it look like there was a lot of more protocol deviation, um, but I don't think it was patient-led just based off people who got, like, the dose before or, well, I mean, it was pa- patient uh, protocol deviations, but there was a lot of deviation in the, the amount they were getting um, to, like, certain milligrams above or below what it was actually supposed to be. So even with that, you know, it makes it even less reliable. Right, so they did have proof, like you yeah. said, that they deviated from the protocol. Um, so I guess I would argue that, you know, if there is differences in facilities and how they do things, then you shouldn't combine the results, mm-hmm. basically. Different populations or different methods means you can't combine them. It's like a meta-analysis. Yeah. Um, okay. And then I had another issue with the INR. <coughs> so you said they measured it at certain time points. Mm-hmm. What were those time points? They were uh, days 1, 4, 6, 8, 15, 22, 57, and 85. Okay. So do you think that is biased in some way? Um, because they gave the results over three months. Right? Yeah. Well, I think for the first maybe one or two tests, um, the INR might not have been reflective of the actual anticoagulation that was happening. Um, or at least on day one, maybe day four. With the length of time, I don't know, but the, I, I do think that Actually, the length of time they were 
the amount of tests they did actually supported that it wasn't as significant because it showed that really there wasn't any variability in uh, when they did get to this like stable dose, and it was really only those first few like few tests that actually showed like most of the difference. Right. So it might have like outweighed the rest of the time. So maybe the three months weren't enough to to outweigh the first high difference in in uh, percentage of time in the INR. Right. So you have an early benefit, and then you carry that through the trial by not studying as heavily the rest of the, the time mm-hmm. periods. So you're kind of leaning towards or biased towards the early treatment benefit. And you're saying that it applies for the yes. entire three months. Oh, yeah. Now, now I see what you're saying with, uh, like, 146. As it goes on, it's spaced out more. So right. that first, you know, the good the good results were kind of, bi- you know, biasing the entire thing. Right. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> All right. You mentioned that uh, the demographics were different and that the, the ethnicity plays a big part in the genotype. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another point that I was going to make too, that it kind of limits the external validity and yeah. whether it can be applied to you know the rest of the world. So, how do you think that would apply to St. Peter's? Um, I think it wouldn't apply as strongly. I'm not sure about the exact demographics of Albany, but it's definitely not. Your patients aren't going to be 98.5 percent Caucasian right here, so. Uh, I think the validity here would be a lot less than what, what they got when you're taking genetics into consideration, which we, we know like certain uh, ethnicities have different different reactions to different things. And when you're talking about polymorphism in these uh, drugs or in these genes that were only studied in what one ethnicity, yeah, I think when you when you spread that o- out over a wider demographic, more diverse, it's going to be less valid. Right, because Caucasians actually have these uh, these SNPs or polymorphisms more commonly than other ethnicities. What do you think about um, the way they dose the warfarin in the control group? Um, what do they base it on? They base it on the clinical, local clinical practice. They, in, the, in the first for three the, days. For the first three days, and after that, or actually for the first three days, it was based on this kind of protocol here. And then for day four and beyond, it was just based on how they were going to do it at that center. Yeah. So that also kind of shows that they're kind of biasing it towards that first, like, bit of information that they got after that. Um, it was based on local practice in both groups. So the first three days, what parameter or variable did they use for dosing in the control uh, group? Age. What do we use here? Um, we probably haven't had any protocol patients yeah. on our floor. Yeah. yeah, probably not a lot of exposure in the ICU to this, yeah. but we do have an initiation protocol that's based on weight. Okay. So you'll notice like small differences based on where the trial is located. Mm-hmm. Um, so they may do things differently over in Europe than uh, what we do, but that certainly limits the external validity again to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm kind of curious if you looked into the formula they used for the, uh, the algorithm mm-hmm. for genotype proof. Yeah, um, that was included, I think, in the, the protocol. Um, like another document they had. And um, I didn't think it was worth putting on air because it was it was really like one times like the half-life of this, 
like explanation exp, exponentials and, and letters and all that stuff. It was just it was just really confusing, like four or five lines long. Yeah, it was. And then the I the dosing that would use the INR on day four was also probably like half as long, but it was also just as complicated. Did you look at the variables they used in that formula? Um, not too closely. Yeah, so they used height, weight, amiodarone dose, um, and of course, you know, the genotyping. Mm. So compare that with what they did for the control group. Oh, yeah, it was the control group's a lot less specific to the person. Yeah. More basic. So if you're going to compare two different groups and dosing strategies, mm -hmm. uh, how many different variables do you want? Or how many variables do you want to be different between those two groups? How many independent variables? Probably want less. Yeah. You just want one. Yeah. Right? Because that's more confounding. Yeah. So if you're dosing based on height, weight, and amiodarone in one group and not another, all those could be actual factors. They could be the reason that the percent time could be different or whatever. Exactly. They have nothing to do with genetics. Yeah. I mean, well, height does, but, <laughs> but not, in, not as far as your polymorphism. So they added a whole bunch of things that had nothing to do with genetics to their, to their formula, so it makes it a, a, more of an unfair comparison of the two groups. Mm -hmm. Dosing was by far the biggest limitation of this study because obviously, like in graph A, the patients in the control group had higher INR spikes at first. Which, if you're like a 40 kilo, 75 year old woman who gets 10 milligrams of warfarin on your first day, mm -hmm. then I mean, it makes sense that you set the study to compare it to a clinical protocol dosing where the control group had no, no difference at all. Mm -hmm. Which I think if they had used more reasonable dosing to start out. Yeah. And I mean... Probably wouldn't have had any difference. Yeah. And as you guys pointed out, they did use, like, height and weight in that algorithm. That, I mean, they could have used it in this without talking about genotypes. Like, it, would, it still would have held more validity if they could have used it in the control group without using the genotype. You mentioned uh, another trial. Was that the COAX trial that you were talking about? Um, the one that found no difference? There were, there were two other ones that have found no difference in their time window. Okay. Yeah, the uh, the COAG came out um, last year, mm -hmm. and um, it was a U.S.-based study, and they were using clinical variables in, in the groups, so mm -hmm. that's probably more valid to yeah. what we do here. Yeah. So I would agree that you know, that trial is probably a better indication of what genotyping would do. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Any other questions or comments?